NPR. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darian Woods. And I'm Waylon Wong. Last week in London, climate activists demonstrated outside of Shell's annual shareholders meeting. Some of them made their way inside the building and tried to run onto the stage. Shell was also under pressure inside the meeting from shareholders to commit to stronger goals on reducing emissions. This drama that unfolded at its annual meeting is one of the latest examples of the ongoing conflict over what's known as ESG. As we've covered, ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. And it's gone from being a niche corner of the investing world to a multi-trillion dollar industry and a major battlefront in the culture wars. But decades before the current so-called anti-woke backlash and before the term ESG even existed, there were a few early thinkers who believed that making investment decisions based on social values could be both good for society and good for the bottom line. Today on the show, we meet one of the pioneers of what's called socially responsible investing, the late Robert Schwartz. We look back at the political circumstances that shaped his career and see how he brought his investing principles to the heart of Wall Street. Support for NPR and the following message come from Fisher Investments. SVP Judy Abrams shares how their fiduciary duty comes to life while helping clients plan for retirement. As a fiduciary... We must make decisions in our clients' best interest. So we work with them in consultation to be on a glide path so when they want the option to retire, that portfolio is still going to keep working for them at this stage of life. Learn more at FisherInvestments.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Babson College. The world needs entrepreneurial leaders, and you can become one at Babson College. Gain the skills to lead, motivate, and inspire through a specialized master's or MBA program with full-time, part-time, and online options. Turn ideas into action with a graduate program that caters to your professional needs and fits your lifestyle. Ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News and World Report. Apply now at babson.edu slash grad programs. In September of 1979, a group of musicians organized a series of concerts in New York to protest the use of nuclear energy. The anti-nuclear movement was well underway worldwide. David Sand was a few years out of college at that time and working for a nonprofit that was involved in the anti nuclear movement. The No Nukes concerts were a milestone event. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band performed a set, including Badlands. It was huge. Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, those are the two that I like the most, but lots and lots of performers Jackson Brown and Bonnie Ray. After the concert, David was given an assignment at work. He was asked to research electric utility companies that were using nuclear energy. He didn't know very much about the topic, so he started asking around and looking for somebody who could help him. I heard that there was this guy named Robert Schwartz who worked on Wall Street who I should talk to. David hadn't heard of this guy, but Robert Schwartz had been in the investment world since the 1950s. He studied economics and worked at the U.S. Treasury until he was accused of having communist sympathies and had to leave that job. This was during the McCarthy era. 
1954, Robert landed at a bank that had been founded by a labour union called Amalgamated Bank. He started managing pension funds for the bank's clients, which included a lot of labour unions. Robert talked about what this job entailed in a 1992 documentary called Business Not As Usual. We obviously would not, working from the Amalgamated Bank, consider investment in companies which were on strike or resisting union organization. So he started scrutinizing companies' labor practices. That led him to researching other things like company track records on the environment and product safety. This was how Robert developed the principles of socially responsible investing. And by 1980, Robert had gone to work at a Wall Street investment firm. And that's where the young activist researcher David Sand met Robert. And David ended up working for him. Robert was managing money for clients, but David said they weren't just any kind of clients. They were nuns and labor unions. There was even a group called the Veterans of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, made up of anti-fascists who had volunteered to fight in the Spanish Civil War. The client mix was not in any way what you would expect going to work in a brokerage office in the early 80s. It was an unconventional roster of clients with clear stances on how they wanted their money invested. They wanted to earn a return, yes, but they didn't want to put their money into companies or industries whose actions were contrary to their values. We were establishing the principle that you could exclude tobacco, uh, military contractors, utilities that had exposure to nuclear, companies that were still in South Africa, And not only could they exclude companies that they deemed harmful to society, but they could channel their money into companies that treated their workers well or were committed to protecting the environment. This was David's introduction to socially responsible investing. Today, he's an executive at Community Capital Management, a firm that invests in areas like affordable housing. And David remembers working with Robert on strategies that would later become commonplace in ESG investing. For example, in the late 70s, they collaborated with an order of nuns to buy stock in a coal company. They bought enough shares to attend the company's annual meeting and press executives on how coal miners were being treated. This is what activist investors do all the time now, like what was happening inside that Shell shareholder meeting last week. But David said it was kind of a radical experiment when they tried it. It was like we were fighting a guerrilla campaign. I don't want to exaggerate, but it was very subversive. And, you know, Bob was kind of the mastermind for it and took a great deal of pleasure in being part of that that effort. Robert Schwartz would later write in his memoir that he believed he was given the latitude to pursue his socially responsible investment strategies because he was actually making money, which is what his Wall Street employers cared about. But there were obstacles. While Robert was at that big Wall Street firm, he tried setting up a socially responsible mutual fund. This would be a way for the firm's clients to pull their money and invest it in companies that met certain criteria around their labor or environmental practices. Robert believed that it would be the first mutual fund of its kind. But in the early 80s, American Express acquired the firm where Robert was working. And some CEOs from big companies who used American Express credit cards were unhappy with investor activism, like trying to get corporations to pull out of South Africa over apartheid. There were some very large clients of American Express that called up the CEO of American Express and said, hey, we're big clients. What's this? thing you're doing where you're saying it's bad to be in South Africa. 
and people shouldn't buy our stock because we're in South Africa. And that brought a great deal of pressure. The fund never got off the ground. And while that was a setback, David says that back then the opposition to socially responsible investing mostly came from the status quo. Arguments like, that's just not how things are done here. Now, Robert Schwartz did have several industry peers working on similar principles. Some of them founded investment firms that are still around today. Still, David says the industry was so small in those early days that it didn't attract too much attention from politicians. Today, lawmakers in some states are barring government pension funds from investing in ESG-related products. And companies are fielding dozens of anti-ESG shareholder resolutions at their annual meeting, so-called anti-woke resolutions. I think we're all struggling right now to think about how can we make positive change. And so to see the brakes trying to be applied so quickly is, is, is sort of harrowing. That's Ivan Frischberg. He's Chief Sustainability Officer at Amalgamated Bank, where Robert Schwartz worked in the 50s. Ivan says the bank has tried to carry on Robert's legacy. That means not lending to companies like payday lenders or private prison operators. It also means investing money in addressing issues like climate change and the racial wealth gap. Ivan says that despite the pushback, Robert Schwartz's story shows that crises can create opportunity. I go back to Robert Schwartz and the charges and extremism that ran him out of the Treasury Department and into the open arms of Amalgamated Bank and where he said, "Okay, well, now I can actually do something that I think is good. In 2004, the term ESG appeared for the first time in a United Nations report. Two years later, in 2006, Robert Schwartz died at the age of 88. This episode was produced by Brittany Cronin with engineering by Catherine Silver. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez. Viet Le is our senior producer, Kate Cannon edits the show, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Lisa, in collaboration with West Elm. Discover the new natural hybrid mattress, expertly crafted from natural latex and certified safe foams, designed with your health and the planet in mind. Visit leesa.com to learn more. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing, like not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. (laughs) Dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.